morning, church. Happy to be with you this morning. I have the privilege to continue our series taking a look at the law of God. In this series, we've been taking a look at the Ten Commandments, the commands that God gave to Israel, and taking a look at what did they mean for Israel and what do they mean today? How did Jesus affirm these commands? Did he re redefine them, change them, or did he proclaim them? And so last week, the past two weeks actually, we've been taking a look at three laws that tend to get lumped together. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, and do not steal. Corey summarized it as don't take someone's life, their wife, or their stuff. And so this morning, we're going to be taking a look in Exodus 20:15 at do not steal. And so if you need a Bible, we have some ushers walking around with Bibles. Just raise your hand. We'd be more than happy to give one out to you. Uh, if you have your phones, you can go to the Bible app and go into YouVersion. It has all the notes and the scriptures there. But let me tell you where we're headed this morning. I'd like to start off with first identifying what do we mean by stealing? How do we define stealing? Maybe talking about some gray areas that we might go, well, is it stealing? Is it not stealing? I don't know. And then once we have a definition of stealing, I'd like to then move on. And why did God call Israel not to steal? What was the purpose in that? Why did Israel need that? And then what does that mean for us? How do we go about this command? So that's where we're headed this morning. But I want to start off by just having a time of prayer, a moment where we just acknowledge that the Lord is present here. Not because we're at a building, not because we're at a service, but when his people gather, he is present here. And so I would just love to spend some time beholding God for a moment. So would you pray with me? Lord, your people are gathered and you are present here right now. Let us be aware of your presence. God, I pray for open hearts for whatever you have this morning, Lord. I pray that we would continue in worship. We desire to be changed and we need you for that. Lord, as this service continues, I pray that you would be glorified and that you would continue to sanctify us. Lord, we give you this morning and we love you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so first, we got to talk about what do we mean by stealing? And so definition from the dictionary is stealing is to take something without permission, legal right, and without intending to return it. So if you take something without permission or you don't own it and you don't intend on returning it, that's what we think of when we think of stealing, right? That's nothing far-fetched. And so as Joel was saying, time of confession is good. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them the last two things you remember stealing from someone. <laughs> I said that to the last service, and there was like, please don't make me do that. <laughs> I'm glad there was some laughter here this morning. You don't have to do that. But this is typically the definition we think of when we think of stealing, right? It's that legally I could get in trouble. If I were to walk out in the parking lot, bust someone's window open, 
hotwire their car. I don't know how to do that, but it'd be cool if I did. Hotwire their car and took it. That's stealing. Or if I walk into a convenience store and I see a soda or a pack of gum and I say, I'd really like that. Store clerk's not looking, take it, put it in my pocket, and I walk out. That's considered stealing. Right? This is nothing new, correct? This is how we would typically define stealing. I could get in legal trouble if I stole your car. But what I'm interested in is we often separate real stealing from uh, just, these are just small things. Is it stealing? Is it not stealing? What I've just defined is clear, like we would agree, this is real stealing. But what are the other areas? What are the other areas that we might be stealing and we don't even realize it? Or we do realize that we just minimize it. Kevin DeYoung cites the Heidelberg Catechism and says this. He, God, forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishably by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes cheating and swindling our neighbor by schemes made to appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, he forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. I find that interesting because that takes a little broader of a definition of stealing. Even if you take advantage of someone or take something that's rightfully theirs, that's still considered stealing. False advertisement. If I, I don't know about anybody else, I love Facebook Marketplace. I love trying to sell stuff on there, seeing if people message me. I, I don't know why, I just enjoy it. But let's say I'm selling a 40 inch TV. Could maybe get like $125, $150 for that. But what if I put it in a 70 inch box and I started advertising that I'm selling this 70 inch TV for five, $600. It's all wrapped in the box. All you need to do is come pick it up and pay me. And you come and you pick up the box. Wow, this feels a little light. Don't worry about it. It's just, it's a flat screen. It feels light. And you take it home. That is, I would be stealing from you. I would be false advertising and robbing you of either the TV you thought you were going to get or the money you paid for it. Even being dishonest can lead to this idea of stealing. It happens in the workplace as well. If you, have, you are an employee, there's often times that we will steal by either, you know what, I got all my work done. I could work ahead, but... I could easily scroll on social media for an hour and a half. That is time the company would be paying you for your time and your effort. Or, you know what, I'm at work, I don't have any post-it notes or markers at home, I'm just gonna grab a couple and I'm gonna take them home with me. That would still be, it's not something that belongs to you, but we're still taking it without the intent of returning it. Or, let's flip it, if you have your own business, and you have employees under you, and you say, you know what, I'm gonna pay you $20 an hour, but then you don't, or they already clock out. You know what, but I need you to do, just do one more thing for me. You are taking advantage of their time, which you should be paying them for. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? There's areas that we seek to take, and we don't consider them stealing for some reason. Jen Wilkins says this. This statement actually makes me uncomfortable when I read it. 
The scariest instances of stealing are the ones we think are victimless. The scariest times when we steal is when we think there's no victim on the other end. Because who am I hurting? Who am I affecting? I'm not. Can anybody guess the common two places in the last decade that get stolen from? The most common places. Any idea? I'm hearing whispers, but I don't. Workplace? Okay, grocery store, not quite, but that does happen quite a bit. The workplace is one. What do you think the other is? Music? Online? That's probably more prevalent recently. Hotels is the second one. I don't know if you would have guessed that. Like I said, it's not recently because now they have credit card information. They can say, you know what? He stole a pillow, a blanket. We're going to charge him extra. But in the last decade, the most common place of theft was the workplace and a hotel. People steal from the workplace because, again, it feels victimless. It's a corporation. It's a business. It has no feelings. If I take some post-it notes home or markers or pens, I'm not hurting anybody. There's no victim on the other end of that. So why not? With hotels, same thing. I'm not hurting the hotel. If I take a pillow, is it that big of a deal? There's no real victim. I'm not stealing someone's pillow. That'd be a little different. But we think it's victimless, and so therefore it gets reconciled in our minds. The other thing is with hotels, I can be miles away before you realize it's gone. With this idea of stealing church, we can reconcile it in our minds if the relationship isn't present and there's not a likelihood of me getting caught. If I think I can get away with it and I'm not seeing or experiencing or feeling someone get hurt by this, it tends to feel victimless. But if I, you needed a place to stay and I invited you over to my house in my guest bedroom, the next morning, you would be sure to fold all the blankets, clean up everything, make sure it was cleaner than what you found it. Why? Because there's a relationship present. You know you would see me get upset. You would experience me observe you leaving my room a mess. And you'd get caught. You'd probably be packing up your car and I'd go, seriously, who draws on the walls? You put a hole in my wall? The relationship and the likelihood of getting caught plays a big factor in stealing because there's areas of theft that we just go, there's no victim, I don't see a victim, or I probably won't get caught, so I'm gonna do it. Whatever form stealing takes, God here in Exodus 20:15 forbids it. And he says, this is not what I want for my people. But I'm interested in why. Why does God call Israel to not steal? What is the purpose of this law? And so at the time here in Exodus, God is trying to establish his covenant community. He has identified Israel as his people. And he's like, I'm trying to, to give you a way of life and establish you as my people. And so when he gives this law to not steal, it's similar to a parent. 
Sometimes when we read rules, we read laws, some, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my head, I just think of the, the parent response, because I said so. <laughs> just do it because I said so. And I'm like, tell me why. God has reasons as to why he calls his people to not do and to do certain things. He's like, this is actually going to be better for you. I'm trying to restore, I'm trying to heal, I'm trying to create this established community so that it can work and work as I intended. So when he calls Israel to not steal, he is guarding his covenant community he's establishing. He's trying to protect it. To number one, look like himself. And number two, he recognizes what can happen. Can you imagine if we lived in a community where stealing was okay? Where we said here in this space, you're fine, go ahead and steal. It would be a mess. You'd have Brock stealing from Micah and then Micah would get mad and so everybody joined Micah's team and then Brock would get some people on his. It would be outright chaos. So God is number one saying, this is not what I intend for you. And two, there's consequences. This is not going to be good. He's trying to protect his established community. And the way that he does that is he warns Israel of what is considered stealing and what happens when you steal. And I wanna take a look at a couple of those in Exodus 22. So if you wanna open up to Exodus 22, we're just gonna look at two verses there. But here, God is not only identifying forms of stealing, which we just kind of covered, but it's important to know what he considered stealing at that time. But also, what is the consequence of the action? So Exodus 22, verse one. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. So if you take one of my ox, you have to pay me five. Or if you take one of my sheep, you better have four to give back to me. I don't know why cattle is so much better than sheep. Yeah, it's, it's probably more wealth at that time. <laughs> but what God is saying is if you're willing to take, you must be willing to give more. Look a couple verses down, verse seven. If anyone gives a neighbor silver or goods for safekeeping, and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, the thief, if caught, must pay back double. So if you take someone else's goods, their possessions, you have to pay double. There's some weight to that now, right? If I'm willing to go out in the parking lot and steal someone's car, I have to be prepared to give up my car for that. I would have to pay back double. Or if I took a pack of gum that's worth $3, I better have $6 because I'm gonna have to pay that back double. God is giving a weight to the decision of stealing here. Deuteronomy 24, 14 to 15 says, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Here, God says, it, it doesn't, you don't even have to take something from someone. If you have a hired servant that has worked for you that is poor and in need and you withhold their payment, you're stealing. 
They can cry out to God and you would be sinning. And what I think is interesting about those two verses is God even says, if you don't pay them on time, he says, if you don't pay them by the sun goes down, you're sinning. You're withholding something that is supposed to be theirs and you know they need it. So what God is essentially saying here is don't steal or else. Don't steal or else. There is a consequence to the action of stealing. And I think it's helpful to see some examples of, of taking and God going, that can't happen. As well as mistreating for the sake of obtaining something that someone else has, that's still stealing. And what God does here is he gives a weight to the action so that he can continue to push his people towards a certain direction. And he needs to do that because I think God is smart. He knows stuff we don't. And he's recognizing the appeal of stealing is that we could obtain something for nothing. That's the appeal of stealing. We are tempted to steal because the idea that we can get something and give nothing in return is attractive to us. I don't know about you, but I'll lose it if I see a for free sign. That means I can get something I don't have to pay. That's appealing to us as humans. And so I, I want you to think about that for a second in your own heart. It's easy to say, yeah, do not steal. I don't feel like I've stolen anything serious. But this is a reality for us. The, the idea that we can obtain something and pay nothing for it. And what Yahweh tries to do is God tries to correct this in his people. He tries to address two things. Number one, it is not for nothing. God tries to help his people see, you think it's for nothing. You think it's victimless. It is not. You are not obtaining something for nothing. There is a cost. You're just not paying it. You're making somebody else pay it. You think that you're obtaining something, whatever you're taking for nothing, there is a cost. You're just not paying it. You're making somebody else. So God speaks right to this idea that stealing is victimless and I'm obtaining something for nothing. He's trying to get Israel to see it's not for nothing. There is a cost. You're just pushing it off to someone else. The other thing he's trying to get Israel to see from Exodus 20 to 23 is that it is not worth it. It does not pay out in the end. That's why God says, you know what? You want to take one ox? You'll have to pay five. You want to take one sheep? You better have four. It does not pay out in the, the end. So if we're looking at something and we have the temptation that, I, you know what? I could obtain this and give nothing for it. He's like, think again. Think of the consequence. Think of the weight of this. Are you willing to pay that? That's why these are lumped together. Don't take someone's life, their wife, or their stuff. God takes stealing very seriously. And he tells Israel, listen, it is not for nothing. And it does not pay out in the end. So what does that mean today? God cared about stealing for the Israelites. That's clear from how that was displayed in Exodus 22 and 
Deuteronomy 24. But what about today? Did Jesus affirm this? I think one of the cool things about Jesus's ministry is that he could have either like just ignored the laws or said, you know what? They were back then. I'm going to do something new here. Check it out. But he actually said, I've come to fulfill the law. And he takes some of these laws that they've known and takes them a step further. He redefines them, but by redefining, I mean he takes it to the heart. He doesn't change anything about what it, its intention is. He just gets to the heart of the issue. What he helps his people realize is that the battlefield is not in the action. It starts in the heart. He's like, you've been trying to follow these laws, this action, but the battlefield starts in your heart. We heard that last week with adultery. The, the act of committing adultery, God goes, not good. But Jesus then says, yeah, but I say, even if you lust, that is where the battle is. And the reason for that is, is because sometimes we think the fall, sin, is just this immediate drop. Church, it is a slow decline. And Jesus is recognizing, I know you look down here and see the act of committing adultery and you'd say, I would never do that. But Jesus is like, but if you're lusting, that's where the heart, that's where it starts. And if you don't acknowledge that, you're gonna slowly decline to the point where you're very close and thinking about doing the act you thought you never would. So Jesus says, it's about the heart. And so with stealing, Jesus addresses our treasures. What do we treasure? So open up to Matthew 6. We're going to be taking a look at verses 19 to 21. And it's important to note, there's other laws like committing adultery that Jesus says, you have heard this, now I say this. Really cut, cut and dry, it's pretty clear. He does not do that with stealing. But in this passage, I believe Jesus addresses the heart behind stealing, the heart of our issue when we steal. And so follow along with me, starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So Jesus says, listen, you've heard it said, don't steal, but look at where you, what you treasure. That's what we need to address first. What are we treasuring? Are we treasuring the things of this world? Because that's where your heart will also be. If I treasure possessions, then that's where my heart is. I will do anything to get it even if it means diminishing my neighbor, taking advantage of them. And as Matt said last week, a lot of this does come back to idolatry. These things that I want to possess end up becoming my idol. And I would do anything, all of my actions, all of my thinking is around what I treasure. And it just breeds, church, discontentment. All throughout scripture, we're called to be content with what God has given us, what we have. When our treasure is in the things of this world, we are constantly discontent. 
nothing's good enough. I constantly have to have more. Isn't it crazy that you could get a new car, be super happy with it, but as soon as someone in the Mustang rolls up next to you, you're like, well, I hate my car. I want that one. You know what brings about discontentment the most? Comparison. As soon as we compare, it breeds discontentment within us. All of a sudden, it's not good enough. Yes, I love my house, but did you see their house? I want that. Yeah, I like my car, but I want that car. It breeds this idea that we're just not content. And what that cries out to God is, Lord, whatever you've given me, whatever I have, it's not good enough. I want and I need more. I think we see this in the garden with Adam and Eve. They are given everything. Everything is perfect. But the serpent is able to just push and twist one thing. And it was the idea, you know what? God is holding out on you. He, he knows if you'll eat of that fruit, you'll be like him. I know you have all of this, but that one thing he's keeping from you. Go and take it. What the serpent did was bred this discontentment in Adam and Eve, that what they had wasn't good enough and they needed more. God was holding out on them. That is what, when we treasure the things of this world that Jesus says fades, it breeds this, we are never content. Anything that we can have is just never enough. And Jesus says, I want you to treasure me. You were designed to treasure me. Your treasure is in the wrong place. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus gives a parable. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Jesus says, my kingdom, me, this relationship, it is like that treasure. And when you fully grasp it, when you understand it, it changes everything. You're willing to give, sell, do whatever just to obtain this treasure. Church, think with me right now about the gospel. The gospel message that God created us to be in relationship with him in perfect harmony. And that in an act of disobedience and rebellion of us saying, you know what, I can be the God of my own life. Sin entered in and severed that relationship with God. And it severed what God had intended for humanity. Again, as a good father who's going, I know what I intend is actually best for you. And we are destined to live in this sin. And God gives us 10 laws, these commands where he says, this is the way back. This is what my intention looked like. Knowing we couldn't do it. We could never follow it. We could never obey it on our own because of our fallenness. But in his love and his mercy said, you know what? I will do it. I will come down to this earth as a man. I will live this life perfectly according to what I intended so that you can see that. And then I will give my life for you, paying the penalty we deserve. 
The penalty for sin is death. And the God of the universe came down to earth and said, I will pay that for you so that I can redeem, reconcile, and heal this world and get it back to what I intended. That's what I desire. That is the God that we believe in. That sounds like treasure to me. Not only that I gotta wait until death, until I get to go to heaven to experience it. Jesus says, no, I'm redeeming now. I'm healing now. You get to taste heaven now. I'm bringing it here. And you get to be a part of that. That, that church is the treasure we should be willing to give anything for. The par this parable, Jesus is trying to get us to recognize the treasure that is eternal, that never fades, that truly leaves us satisfied. And Jesus says, why? Why are you treasuring the things of this world? They fade. You're thirsty. I'm offering you living water here. You will never go thirsty again. You will be satisfied and you keep going to this broken bucket for drips of water. Why? Jesus is getting at the heart here. He desires for us to be satisfied. It is way bigger than just do not steal. Jesus is, is saying, where is your heart? What do you treasure? That's the heart of the issue. And when we get to that heart, we see that Jesus actually calls us to do the opposite. It's not just don't steal. It's, no, I actually want you to be generous. I want you to give. Luke 6.30 says, give to everyone who begs from you. Catch this. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Can you imagine that? Someone taking something from you? Not only are we supposed to give, but if someone takes something from me, I'm not supposed to ask for it back, demand it back. Our God says, think of the volume of saying, I, that is not where my treasure lies. I am hurt that you would be willing to take that from me. I'm hurt that you thought that I should pay the price over you. My world does not, is not surrounded by that possession. Jesus actually calls us to do the opposite, to give to those in need. Don't hold these things too tightly. Proverbs 11, 24 to 25 one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. God identifies when your treasure is in the things of this world, you will only suffer want. It will never leave you satisfied. You will be getting little drops of water that will never quench your thirst. But he says, when you actually do the opposite, when you live as I intended to live generously and give, you actually get to taste what I intended for this world. You get to, you get to taste heaven here and now. I'm, just not, I'm not just asking you to do this because I'm the boss and it's because I said so. This was what I intended. And when you partake in that, you get to taste in what I intended for this earth. It is enriching you are left all the richer. So church, yes, do not steal, but it's far bigger than that. 
live in light of your new treasure, in light of this treasure that, treasure that we have in the gospel, live like that, love like that, where we don't hold our possessions. Our treasures are not here in the things of this world. They're in heaven, so we're able to give, let go of anything because that's not where our treasure lies. When Jesus is our treasure, it causes us to view our neighbor and our possessions differently. We're not willing to diminish our neighbor for the sake of obtaining something. So I ask you this morning, where is your treasure? Please think about this. Not just this morning, but as you go about life this week, look at the actions that you make. Look at the things you say. Look at the things you think. They will tell you a lot about what you treasure. Where is your treasure? Stealing is gaining at someone else's expense. What we see in the gospel is a God who is willing to see someone else's expense someone else's gain, I'm sorry, at his own expense. In the gospel, we see a God modeling this idea that I'd rather, rather see someone else's gain at my own expense. Are we willing to love like that? Are we willing to live like that? where we can give generously, love generously, knowing where our foundation and our treasure truly is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you offer something that this world could never. Thank you that in you, we are truly satisfied. Let us taste that. Let us experience that in the gospel. Thank you that you don't leave us alone. That we are not left to try and earn or deserve your love. But that you freely give it. That you model a love that sees our gain at your own expense. God, help us to not diminish and steal and take advantage of our neighbor. Help us to see that you, your kingdom is our treasure and help us to live in light of that. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As we reflect on this time, let's stand together. And let's declare the truth of the firm foundation we have in Christ and what he's done for us.
from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. So church, yes, we are called not to steal. But it's far greater than that. Is Jesus our treasure? And are we willing to live in light of that? Adam and Eve were tempted because the serpent was able to put in their minds that God was holding something from them. And they became discontent. When that discontentment rises within us, let us remember Luke 12. 32 to 33. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will never wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Don't be afraid, little flock. We have the kingdom. If you want to talk with someone, we'll have some people back in the encounter room. I'll be up front if you want to chat. Otherwise, we love you. Go in peace.